The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is The Tea Health Show. And today we're going to talk about some of the new safety data regarding the use of testosterone and testosterone supplementation. In studio with me, as always, our lovely producer, Simpiwe, and uh, Sissy Elise van Aert, my right hand in the tea clinic. And then we also welcome back Dante Ludati. Um, Dante, you wanted to lead us off. Mm, yeah, I'm talking about this, uh, this, this new data that, that you mentioned. It, it wasn't that long ago that testosterone replacement therapy was regarded as being quite suspect. I actually think, you know, with a more apt word just to call it almost vilified. Well, there we go. That's even stronger. Because there were issues with, also they said there were issues with what uh, cardiovascular problems and prostate issues and other related ailments. Um, so what's changed? Well, you know what, uh, I, I, I think let's start with a historic, uh, historical perce- uh, perspective. Um, the majority of women, uh, men who used testosterone did so for bodybuilding. Um, I always, when I do public speaking on this topic, I say, you know what, when women or men hear the word testosterone, they literally think of muscles, men, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's no, it was known as roids, isn't it? Yeah, or juice or... No, no yeah, but roids are anabolic steroids specifically. Yeah, but testosterone was seen as... Oh, it's seen, yes. As, as coming in there. Yeah, Just because it's together, a... Yeah. a um, a steroid hormone, yeah. mm. which comes from cholesterol. Okay. Um, and you know what? I, I, I think um, it was vilified more by medical practitioners out of ignorance than anything else. So, Also misuse. Well, absolutely. Um, and we'll get to that yeah. um, because there's a difference between misuse and abuse and then um, using something responsibly under guidance and prescription. Exactly. Um, So in the 2000s, early 2000s, up until 2010, there were some studies that were conducted with contradicting information when it comes to safety. And here we're looking specifically at cardiovascular health, um, whether testosterone causes heart attacks or hypertension. And um, they also, uh, you know what, it was thought that testosterone can cause prostate cancer. In But sorry, why? Why? Yeah, because was there studies that supported that or was it just The studies anecdotal? were conflicting. Okay. The studies were conflicting. Uh, you know what, Elise, if you, if you think about what we knew 10 years ago, five years ago even, yeah. and what we know now, you know, it's a completely different picture, not only with men, but also with hormone, um, female uh, hormone replacement and optimization therapy. But in any case, so between 2010 and 2014, they did four studies. Um 
that questioned the safety and suggested that, that there might be negative impact on cardiovascular health and on prostate cancer as well as benign prostatic hypertrophy. But the studies were flawed in design right from the start, um, as well as these studies were flagged as being uh, slightly biased. So the suggestion was made to the medical fraternity to conduct further studies. So they embarked on a landmark randomized control study in 2015 um, and enrolled the biggest number of, of patients, 5,200, which were randomized into a control group, in other words, of guys that received treatment, and a placebo group of guys that received nothing. I think it's also important to, do, to mention the ages that was involved in that. It was men of all ages. to 85, yeah. Yeah. Um, to men 85, of, mm, yeah. Say. As well as men with pre-existing cardiovascular disease, not all of them, but um, so a completely randomized um, study, uh, men with existing cardiovascular disease, men without existing cardiovascular disease, men with prostate uh, related and urinary tract symptoms. Um, so, you know, it, it, was, it was basically an open study, which is the kind of studies that we like. Now, they randomized these guys into equal groups, 2,600 in each group, um, and they looked at cardiovascular outcome. Okay, but the two groups then, one received testosterone. Now, that was the, the control one, study. Yeah. And the other one was the placebo. Um, so on the cardiovascular arm, they found that there is no change in the risk of developing cardiovascular disease or hypertension. As a matter of fact, it actually looks as if testosterone might be slightly cardioprotective. Now, you can delve deeper into the study where we look at the benefit that it has on cholesterol levels and insulin resistance, which is associated with cardiovascular disease. And on insulin resistance, we showed that it improved the uh, uh, insulin resistance in both type 1 and type 2 diabetics with continuous use. On the cholesterol side, um, low levels of testosterone is associated with higher cholesterol, especially when it comes to your bad stuff, the triglycerides, as well as the LDL cholesterol. Now, with testosterone um, supplementation, um, we saw something quite interesting we saw that total cholesterol levels came down, but the good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol, also lowered slightly. When we look at cholesterol, we usually look at the ratio between total cholesterol and your HDL cholesterol. 
and a normal value should be below four. And what they've seen over time with continuous testosterone supplementation is that although the good cholesterol came down, the ratio started changing favorably. In other words, the, ba- um, the total cholesterol came down more than the good cholesterol, giving us a more favorable ratio. But the biggest effect was on uh, your low lipodensity uh, pro- um, cholesterol as well as the triglycerides, which was favorable. So from a cardiovascular perspective, we now, now know that testosterone is safe, and it's even safe to give to a person who's had a heart attack um, as long as it's not done within the first six months after the heart attack. Some studies actually suggest that you can start it as soon as three months after the heart attack. Um, it doesn't elevate um, your blood pressure, and it actually has a negative impact on atherosclerosis, in other words, on the plaque formation inside blood vessels. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing it having a favorable effect on kidney functions as well as on erectile dysfunction. Now, I think the one for most men that's more important is, is testosterone going to create prostate cancer? And out of this study, it showed that if we take the placebo placebo group, 2,600 guys, not on testosterone, 11 of those guys will develop prostate cancer. If we take the control group, 2,600 guys, 12 will develop prostate cancer. So there's no statistical difference. But what's even more important is that it clearly showed that there's no change in the risk of any kind of benign prostatic hypertrophy. In other words, it doesn't enlarge the the prostate and it does not increase or cause urinary symptoms like uh, a weak flow or a bad stream or post maturation dribbling where you know what you pee and you can't stop it keeps on dribbling out etc etc so again on prostate a very very favorable outcome in my practice and Elise um, you know but this is one of the things that over the past 10 years I've been looking at um, in in with every patient on a regular basis um, is that the Prostate-specific antigen levels actually come down when I have my guys on testosterone. Um, It's almost as if the testosterone is protective. Um, So there are other studies that show that optimal levels of testosterone actually prevents prostate cancer and does not cause it. And I think this is where the big shift has come in. We now know that testosterone is safe. We know that it's safe from your cardiovascular perspective. We know that it's safe from a cancer, urinary, uh, prostate perspective. And, you know, but if we just 
look at the benefits of testosterone, I think more and more people will um, buy into the fact that this is not only beneficial but actually crucial to maintain optimal well-being into your um, late middle age and into um, our geriatric type of aging anywhere beyond the age of 60. Mm. Um, Just very briefly, I mean, I know that you've spoken about this before, but I think it's nice to just have a bit of a recap or reminder. What are... What are the real benefits of using testosterone replacement therapy? I mean, one always thinks of libido, for example, but I mean, there, there are masses of them. Well, you know what? I think the, the major one that I see in my patients is the effect that optimal hormone balancing and optimal levels of testosterone has on overall performance, performance in the boardroom, performance in the bedroom, performance on the sports field. The biggest change, um, Elise, that we see in our patients is the change that they have in mental well-being in the form of energy, motivation. I think that's the the short-term benefit that we see. And then... The longer they are on the TRT, we see the physical benefit with these patients, where their body composition changes. And, um, you know, especially the guys with a metabolic syndrome, the changes happen with their physical health as well. When you say physical health, are you talking about like weight loss or? Weight. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Remember, one of the cholesterol levels is, gets under control. Cholesterol um, gets under control. Insulin we, we manage the reduces. insulin better. Yeah. yeah. Um, you manage anemia. Yes. Um, phenomenally well. One of the biggest benefits that came out of this study was the effect that it has on anemia, where when you put a guy on two tests, an anemic person, in other words, you have a low red blood cell count and a low hemoglobin, um, either because of a chronic illness or because of iron deficiency or something like that, you reverse that anemia by up to 47% with a, a versus 20% on, on, on the placebo. It's, 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 you know, it's groundbreaking. But, but it's that, that, also important then to know that you need to monitor blood levels yeah. when patients are on TRT. I was just going to say, you know, what happens if you get a patient who is not anemic and you administer testosterone? Does that not mean that he's going to produce far too much uh, red blood, too many not, red blood cells? Not necessarily. It really depends on patient to patient. Um, you know, but... We now know now that you think it also depends on the type of testosterone. Well, you know, I'm just throwing this in, it's not something we discussed. We 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 have different testosterone esters from short acting to long acting, but you know, with the biggest warning that we have to um, do today, now that we say testosterone is safe, is Testosterone is safe if it's used correctly under the supervision of a medical expert that actually deal with this on a continuous basis. For one simple reason, 
Testosterone forms part of a hormone cascade. In making testosterone, you have six other hormones that play a role. And it's like taking a recipe for uh, a chocolate cake, adding more flour, in other words, adding more testosterone, that's not going to be a chocolate cake when it comes out of the oven. It's going to be some kind of cookie or brownie or something, but it's definitely not going to be cake. Um, the interplay between different hormones in the same hormonal cascade works with positive reinforcement. So if I don't have enough, the body stimulates the production. If I have enough or if I have an excess, the body will create negative feedback into the whole system. So you're going to switch things on or off, which you shouldn't be doing. Now, testosterone doesn't have side effects, but it does have effects. And this is what Elise is alluding to. If I overstimulate the production of red blood cells in the system by excessive amounts of unopposed testosterone, I'm going to create a polycythemia. In other words, I have too many red blood cells in my circulatory system. Ask any person what happens when you throw sand into your pool pump. Eventually, the pump's going to seize because you're changing pumping clear water into mud. And that's the same principle when it comes to polycythemia. Now, that's going to change the viscosity of your blood. So the blood becomes more sticky, if you want to call it anything. And with that, you have an increased risk for clotting. In other words, emboli, heart attacks and strokes. You're going to have an increase in blood pressure. And that's going to place strain on your heart. So your heart's going to start to enlarge. So it's a fine balancing act. So you, you should not, and you cannot do this on your own. This is a registered, scheduled for prescriptive medication. There's testosterone available online on every gym corner, in every locker room, and no one to, that actually knows what the effects versus the benefits are. But I do think you need to mention as well that um, we only have so much iron stores and we need iron for fully functional red blood cells. If you don't have enough iron in your system available, it comes with other problems. Well, you know, but uh, Elise, yes, when you, when you stimulate red, red blood cell production, you're going to place a demand on, on iron. Why? Because to make functional red blood cells, you need iron to make hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is the part of um, your blood that carries oxygen. So if I have low iron stores, not yet deficient, and I start placing demand on that, I'm going to start depleting my iron stores. 
I have to supplement that iron in some way. Now, let's say that, you know what, we start treating the polycythemia by doing venous sections. In other words, we actually let you bleed. We either donate blood or you go and they remove blood from a system. You remove iron, but you're not replacing it. So now you can create an iron deficiency, which eventually leads to an iron deficiency anemia. So you, you need to understand the interaction, the effect, because there are no side effects, there are effects. And if you don't understand the effect that the medication is going to have on that system and the other systems completely separate from that, because there's a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, you are going to create problems down the line that's very difficult, if not sometimes irreversibly damaged. And here we're looking at fertility, for instance. So many young guys are on testosterone. And then they add anabolic steroids. Why? Because they, we want to look good so that we can attract the girls, so that we can intimidate the other guys. You know what? We all want to look good. But there's a cost to that because if you are young and you are using testosterone, you suppress and damage the production of sperm. And hand in hand with damaging that sperm production or suppressing sperm production, you damage the factory that makes testosterone. So now you become dependent on testosterone. Just uh, how many guys do I see in my practice at the age of 28, 29, they look amazing, but they have emotional issues, depression, anxiety. They have erectile dysfunction, and none of them can fall pregnant. So, you know what? They look brilliant, but no girl wants to marry them, or they get divorced because they have erectile dysfunction. They battle with their moods, they're irritable, et cetera, et cetera. So the benefits of testosterone is great and it's safe, but only if you do it correctly. But now how do you deal with somebody who comes into your practice who has got these symptoms? I mean, how, how do you rectify it? But what, what is the procedure that you would go through? Well, you know what, it always starts with the taking of a detailed medical history. Now, for me, it's very interesting. I see these guys come in on testosterone and I they go don't, through... They don't even have to admit it. You can they, see them from the front door. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not only the fact that they are way too big, yeah. um, but I go through the medical history with them. They don't say anything. Yeah. I ask them what medications and treatment they are on they don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And then the moment that I look at their blood tests, the testosterone is normal, but they have zero follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And then the complaint that they had is, I'm battling, I'm tired, I'm moody, I can't have an erection. And then I said to him, when's the last time that you used testosterone? And then it's like, (laughs) (laughs) how did you know? Um, Simple, because you've, you've damaged your pituitary testicular axis to the point where, you know what, you have no testosterone. And, you know, I I'm, I'm defy you to go and make a baby. Um, and, you know what, then it's difficult. 
Those other guys that, um, you know what, I usually withdraw completely, re-stimulate the system by not using testosterone, but by using fertility drugs. So you can rectify uh, that sort of issue? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. sometimes. If, if, uh, if they've used too much for too long, the damage is irreparable. Yeah, you know, it, you can't turn it around. It's literally they destroyed the system. And then they dependent on exogenous testosterone for the rest of their lives or they're going to feel crap. I think we need to take a look at the benefits what, what of this. What do you mean by too much, too long? So, you know what, think about it this way. What happens if you rev your car's engine too high for too long? No, I understand. But it's going to burn out. Yeah, medical this terms, is, what is too much, too long? You know what, Elise, it differs from people to people. But, you know what, we've had guys that inject... 500 milligrams of testosterone twice a week. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, in combination with two or three different anabolic, anabolic steroids, yeah. then they add insulin to that, et cetera, et cetera. We've had so many patients who ended up with kidney failure, heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera, that come to the practice um, that want to restart testosterone therapy because they completely fucked it up the first time. Completely. Not only the treatment protocol, but themselves in the long run. Testosterone is part of a balancing act. And if you get the balance wrong, you're going to fall. And it's safe to say it is addictive because of the effect it has. And I mean, it, addictive in the, in the sense of the guys that uses it um, without supervision, where they use the excessive amount of testosterone twice a week, the, the physical effect is what's messing with their minds. You know, but I think it's it it's got a lot to do with body dysmorphia and yes, what we see exactly. in social media. You know, but there's no difference <laughs> between a girl developing. Um, bulimia or anorexia mm. and a guy that, you know what, decides that he's not buff enough, etc., etc. Um, you know what, a, a good, healthy, athletic body is attractive, but you have some of the guys that go beyond strength? that. Mm. Um, and, you know, what the results that they are after are not naturally achievable. So, you know, they have to supplement, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I think we're deviating slightly from the topic that I want to address. And, you know, what I, I started the tea clinic because of the complaints that I were getting from my patients um, on not performing optimally. They are battling to 
concentrate, to focus, to be and maintain motivation, their energy levels are lacking. And that's spilling over into their private lives and into their intimate lives where moods and irritability becomes an issue and you know what from a sexual perspective the libido is waning the power of the rigidity the erections are decreasing the frequency of the erections are decreasing they're not coping with the demands of our stressful lives so when i started this journey of of taking guys and optimizing testosterone 10 years ago, we had very, very little information. Um, I almost want to say we had none. The studies that were available were small um, and it was still done in the shadows. Um, it wasn't in mainstream medicine. Um, but thank God that now has changed. There's so many studies on the benefits of optimal hormone balance in both men and women, and we're only starting to realize the importance of optimal hormone levels and um, going into our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you know what? We can benefit from it if done correctly. Mm. You've spoken, um, well, essentially what we've been talking about have been these tests, <clears throat> uh, the, the, the new data that's come through. But the way I see it, um, it, it seems to be male-oriented and just male-oriented. Is there a specific reason why these tests were not conducted on women? Or how does it differ between men and women? So, you know, it's that old thing of when I hear the word hormones, I think uh, women and estrogen or women and my wife. And when I hear the word um, testosterone, I think men. So I think women don't know that they actually make more testosterone. Mm. Uh, when they make estrogen, uh, 25% of um, estrogen is made in the ovary. But that um, estrogen comes from testosterone. The other 25% is made in the adrenal glands and then the rest is made in the body. So the majority of your estrogen uh, that changes into estradiol comes from testosterone. So um, now we are seeing more and more and more studies. Um, I think a landmark study for me when it came to, came to women's well-being and sexual health was in 2019 mm -hmm. um, with a publication of a study on hypersexual desire disorder, in other words, low libido in women. And it's been a problem um, for a lot of women. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, um, I think starting in um, the middle of March, we back on real health 
on DSTV Channel 176. Um, and we're going to talk about sexual dysfunction, something that hasn't been addressed effectively in media and in medicine. Um, so it was found that the best treatment for hypersexual desire disorder in both men and women for that fact is optimizing testosterone levels. And when I saw that study, I, I realized, okay, fine. Here's the breakthrough when it comes to women's well-being. Um, the majority of my women going into menopause start complaining. One of the biggest complaints was, you know what? Um, I have no sex drive and no libido. I, I, for me, having sex with my husband is a chore. I just want to get it over and done with. And I realized that, you know what, these are the people that are in the prime of their lives when it comes to career and uh, the family are starting to leave the nest, you know, what they at university, etc. married. These were the girls and guys in their early 50s and late 40s. And that's the time for me when you were supposed to run around the house naked and have, have fun, basically. Yes, mm. um, because with your children in the house, you didn't have that freedom. Mm. Um, and testosterone gave the answer. Now we actually know that for women going into the perimenopausal period, so that period between the ages of about 45 and 51, where things start going south, but you know what, you don't yet need estrogen therapy. We know that we treat them with testosterone, um, not only for sexual dysfunction, but it protects bone, it protects against osteoporosis, it protects muscle, which is important as we get older to have um, decent lean muscle mass. It helps with maintaining body composition, so in other words, weight. But the effect that it has on irritability, mood swings, memory, cognitive behavior and functioning is tremendous. It's almost, and we've, we've been doing this now for a long time, since for the past five years that I've been um, using testosterone in my female patients as well. And it's life-changing. It really is life-changing. And now we start seeing the data coming through that actually supports what we've been, what we've been doing and, and advocating uh, over the last couple of years. Elise, um, you have a lot to do, obviously, with the female patients. Yeah. Um, tell us about some of the changes, I mean, uh, feel-good stories that, that you've seen with, with the female patients, how they've changed. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is we sit with a lot of angry women in that first consultation. And how... I want to say angry and desperate. And desperate, yeah. Desperate because they've been from pillar to post. Yeah. But then uh, I want to say about two weeks into treatment, the whole personality that as, they, as quickly as that. As quickly as that comes to the fore. Where you you see, okay, this is the real woman, not the one that we consulted with in the first two weeks. And by that I'm saying 
um, how f- how uh, um, friendly and open to discussion and thankful and grateful they are that they are feeling better. I, I think if I can put one word, it's zest. Yes, zest for life is back. It's just they feel alive. Mm. They feel a, a change, number one, in self-esteem. That's, that's one yes. of the first changes that we notice in women. The self-esteem changes because they have more energy. Last week, we actually had Dr. Ansi Ghos. And um, we spoke about burnout. Women who have a career, a family, a husband, a household, never get time to de-stress. And those are the women that we see in our practice. They, They come in... Somewhere between the ages, and unfortunately, this is scary. It's it's happening earlier and earlier. But they come, on average, at least I would say, somewhere between 48 and about 60. Yes. Um, When really they are in executive and management roles, and they just can't cope anymore. And the first thing that changed for them is that I have my life back. I feel alive. And that, for me, is is amazing. I will never forget it was right at the beginning when we started seeing women. We had this lady. She was probably about 58. She came in the one day and she actually told Elise this. You know what? You have to put my husband on testosterone. Because the other day... <laughs> I went and I gave him his tea without my bra, and he didn't say anything. <laughs> so that's that's what changes. It's just it's a self confident thing, as yes. Well. And people yeah. start engaging with one another. Yeah. The biggest change for me in men actually comes on mood. People associate irritability in men with high levels of testosterone, aggressive, irritable behavior. It's exactly the opposite. It's when the balance between testosterone and estrogen is disturbed that the men starts becoming irritable and short. They kick the dog, they shout at the kids. And my patient's spouses made me aware of that. Within the first Two to four weeks, he's a nicer person. Um, He spends time, he's attentive, he's loving, he wants to cuddle, which, you know, it wasn't there before. And I realized, and you know what, Simpiwi, you're still menstrual. Um, When are you at your most irritable? Oh, like a week before. When your estrogen levels are at their highest. Mm. So it's estrogen that makes us aggressive and irritable not testosterone. And that is one of the amazing changes. The studies that they have done on mood disorders and l- testosterone are groundbreaking. And I, I, I take issue with my 
Patients on psychiatric medication, antidepressant, mood stabilizers, sleeping tablets, etc., etc. Downers and all of that. Um, that come in, and I they've been to the psychiatrists, and I take a look at the blood tests, and there's never any hormone tests that's been performed. I I think it's so sad that you would take someone and put them onto an antidepressant, which is going to have a negative impact on sexual functioning, both libido as well as erectile function, without optimizing testosterone. Um, it doesn't help that, you know, it, you improve the depression, but you cause something that causes anxiety um, when it comes to your relationship. So, the studies have shown that men with depression and anxiety on high levels of testosterone supplementation do far better than men who are not on testosterone. There was a very, very interesting study that was done on men that presented to the urologists with symptoms of low testosterone, and then when they looked at the level of depression in these guys, it was over 70%. And the moment that they started with testosterone optimization therapy, the depression fell. The incidence of depression was far less. So, you know what? But we've seen that in our practice as well. You know what? It's the cornerstone of my exactly. treatment is what it does on moods. And here I'm talking about fluctuations in mood. I'm talking about um, elevation in mood. I'm talking about stability in the mood. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. The power of testosterone actually lies in its effect on the brain, not on the body. You know what, the doses of testosterone for you to become Arnold Schwarzenegger is not sustainable and it's not safe. But the doses of testosterone to keep you motivated, energized, focused, optimal concentration and mood elevated, stable is low. It's low doses, but the effect is incredibly powerful. It's low doses, but um, it's continuous, I take it. it. You do have to do it, what, for the rest of your life? What? No. No. What we need to understand, and I think, you know what, I've spoken about this a couple of times since you will, I think you'll remember this. Um, when we look at the biological lifespan of humans, our biological lifespan is somewhere between... 38 and about 40, 42 years, okay? Um, if we look at other mammals, you know what? Elephants live a little bit longer, average on 50 years. Uh, some of your whale species um, can live up to um, 120. And in, in some cases, I think it's your, um, your blue whales and your gray whales um, can live up to 200 years. Um, I, might, I might be wrong, but it's definitely up to 200 years. Um, if we look at your smaller mammals, you know what, we know dogs have an average lifespan of about 9 to, to 10 years, depending on the size. Some of the smaller dogs have longer lifespans. But that's the biological lifespan. Now, 
through the advances that we've made in medicine um, and treatment for medical conditions, we've increased our lifespan. But as your hormones start decreasing, we start seeing the development of age-related diseases like hypertension and cardiovascular disease, cholesterol levels, diabetes, bone loss, muscle loss, cognitive decline. Ultimately, those are the diseases of aging, and that's what kills us. So although we have a longer life expectancy now, we haven't changed our biological lifespan. So if you start hormone replacement therapy, you will optimize and go back to, I would say, a delayed kind of aging. The moment that you stop, the hormone levels will start declining again. And you know what? You will pick up the normal pace. It doesn't accelerate aging if you stop. You're just going to go back to where you were and continue normally from there. So can you use hormone optimization therapy for the rest of your life? Absolutely, if you are using it correctly, which means that you cannot use testosterone on its own. Um, it disturbs balance. You have to create physiological balance in the system as well as maintain it. It's that same thing. If you soup up your car, what do you call it? It's souped up car, hey? Yeah. Okay. So if you go and fiddle with the engine and make it stronger, if you don't maintain the brakes, the steering, everything that goes hand in hand with more power in the car, you're going to skid into a wall and you will crash. Um, if you don't maintain your car, if you don't take it for your regular services, if you don't have a healthy lifestyle, if you don't manage your stress levels, etc., etc., the balance goes out. And unmonitored use of testosterone can compound that instead of making the problem better. It can actually make it worse. Do you... It's maybe slightly off topic, but do you um, meet with resistance patients when you tell them they should go into testosterone because of the stigma that it used to have? Probably one in a hundred. I find far more resistance from um, other practitioners who are not up to date with the latest safety um, and protocols um, telling their patients, yeah, but you can't do this. And, you know, when the patient come back to me, I ask them, okay, go back to that doctor and ask him to give you the reasons. This and this and this is the answer that you should be getting. And if a doctor can't give you the answer, then tell them, okay, fine, I think you need to go back to some of the new studies that have been done. Um, so, yeah, because generally speaking, your um, your house doctor, whatever you want to call it, they don't really have the training necessary to cope with something like testosterone replacement therapy. 
and they don't have the facts. And there's, there's no real reason for them to look into these studies. You know, but medicine is actually a field of many subspecialities. And as a general practitioner, you treat mostly common conditions like colds and flus and hypertension, etc., etc. Am I right, Elise? Yeah. Um, we are specialist practitioners. And, I, you know, what? here we look at our, our <laughs> practice. We specialized in what we do. We've subspecialized from um, general medicine. If someone with a cold or a flu comes to me, yeah, I know what to do because, you know, it's part of my training. I know how to examine them. I know what the cause is. But when it becomes a little bit more severe, you know what, I refer them. Why? Because it's not something that I deal with every day. And we need to understand that from our doctors. You know what, they, our general practitioners are exactly that. They do general medicine. In other words, run-of-the-mill day-to-day medical conditions. Um, hormone optimization therapy falls in the realm of endocrinologists, gynecologists, urologists, specialist physicians, functional practitioners. And we've done four, five, six years of extra training um, to enable us to understand the very subtle nuances. So often, and we see this especially in women um, that come into the practice, they've been to the gynae, they've been to an endocrinologist, they've been put onto hormone replacement therapy and they're not getting the results. They're still having menopausal symptoms, either hot flushes, night sweats, urinary tract cyst symptoms, mood swings, irritability, fatigue, da-da-da. But you know, and now they become desperate because they're doing everything that they should be doing, but just not going about it in the correct way. What makes the work that we do difficult is you constantly changing the recipe. Um, you, we know that we, what the ingredients are that is in the recipe if we look at the biochemistry. But putting them together in the right way, that is what the patient wants. Um, ultimately, where the patient feels optimal, instead of treating reference ranges, which is a generalized approach, instead of a targeted, bespoke approach, that's where things go wrong. And that's what you supply at, at the clinic, is a bespoke approach, am I right? Yeah. Every single patient is different, different and every single patient goes through ups and downs which you need to be able to number one, understand, but that only comes with feedback from the patient, how the patient is experiencing your therapy. So you keep in touch with the patient all the, the time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And when we initiate the patient on treatment, the patient follows up with us once a week because there's a lot that change, especially within the first four to six weeks. And if you are not aware of the changes, the patient never gets the optimal benefit. Um, the old 
school kind of treatment and this is what we see with Vaginis, et cetera, et cetera, because of a limited time that they have to see patients, is they give a patient a prescription for three to six months and say, then, then come back. You know what? And the patient never finds the relief that they are after or they never get um, the expectations of a treatment managed. And that's what makes the, our work interesting difficult but incredibly fulfilling is um, you build a relationship with a patient. Uh, you know everything about it, you, uh, them, you know how they're experiencing the treatment, small changes, and you get to understand how day-to-day life affects their well-being because it affects our hormones, stress, sleep, diet, exercise, trauma, etc., etc., has an impact on hormone levels, which you can compensate for if your patient communicates with you. Mm, but how do you monitor a patient week by week? I mean, obviously, he's not going to go and have blood tests done every week. So no, how, how do you do that? What we've incorporated into our practice is the patients score themselves on different parameters. Oh. So it's a subjective um, evaluation on the patient side, which allow us to look at it in a more objective way. I'm not making progress in this area. Say, for instance, it's, um, you know what, I'm getting more and frequent and good erections, but my libido hasn't changed. So, you know what, I'm, I can have an erection, I just don't feel like getting one. So, you know what, but now you have to make an adjustment to your treatment um, because they came there for improved sexual functioning. Not for you to improve the plumbing, but, you know what, actually the whole sexual experience from wanting to performing to gratifying. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to make a statement and yes or no. <laughs> Do I have to say yes Yes, or no? you. See, that's why I say yes (laughs) or no. (laughs) Sleep influences the daily rhythm of testosterone production. Absolutely yes. Okay. Absolutely yes. If we don't sleep properly, you don't produce enough of your pituitary hormones to stimulate testosterone production. Is it safe to say that? Testosterone also has a good effect on sleep. Yes. And during the night, during your sleep cycle, you, ha- you make more testosterone. Yes. Okay. And then if you reduce your sleep cycle, is there a decrease in testosterone levels during the day? Yes, because you have an increase in cortisol. Bad. And Thank cortisol you. gives us negative feedback Cortisol is produced by your adrenal glands. So we produce a little bit of testosterone in the adrenal glands. But you know what? We need to understand that sleep is the process in which the body repairs itself. So if we don't allow the body downtime to recuperate and repair, we create further damage, not just your daily oxidative stress, et cetera, et cetera. We enhance that kind of stress. If we don't sleep, cortisol level starts increasing and it downregulates the production of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone through adrenocorticotropin, um, 
from the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, which, in other words, we don't stimulate the ovaries and the testicles? I started this because that's one of the cornerstones of our um, consultations, is sleep. Yeah, you know, but we've spoken about sleep sleep with Dr. Alison Bentley. And the simple question that you need to ask yourself is, if you wake up in the morning and you are not refreshed, what's the problem? Did I not get enough sleep or did I not get good quality of sleep? Most people need seven to eight hours of sleep. I think the majority of us function fairly adequately on about six to seven hours of sleep. Um. And you know what, if you get less than six hours of sleep, you, you actually have a problem. So, okay. So, Simpriwe is giving me the eye and the lasso and the finger, um, telling me to wrap up. That's so dramatic, Dr. So, um, okay. In a nutshell, the latest safety data on the use of testosterone is favorable. There is no effect on cardiovascular health. As a matter of fact, it can aid in your cardiovascular well-being. There is no cause of prostate cancer or other forms of cancer. You cannot use testosterone on your own, please. It's a prescription product. It's very active both in the brain and in the rest of the body. Overstimulation causes side effects. Don't use products that were not prescribed by a medical practitioner. Testosterone on the black market is cheap and freely available. You really do not know what's in there. It's not safe for long-term or even short-term use. And if you want to know more about this, And if you are battling with the symptoms of low testosterone, with it being decreased sexual functioning, erections, libido, sex drive, whether it's moods, energy, focus, concentration, performance in the boardroom, bedroom or sports field, contact us at the T-Clinic on 010-824-1300. You can also follow us on social media, on our Instagram, LinkedIn, as well as Facebook pages. Next week, we'll be back and we're going to talk about management of stress in the workplace. I've asked a professional business coach, Michael Cooper, to join us. And this is a follow up on the um, conversation that we had last week on burnout with uh, Dr. Ansi Ghos, as well as that it links in to the conversation that we had on sleep with Dr. Alison Bentley. I think for all of us standing in the workplace, this is a podcast that you should really be looking out for and it's not to be missed. Until next week, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.